This is for you. Now entering the game from Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Wednesday, January 8th, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, the Eagles ran out of the next men up when they lost Carson Wentz early in Sunday's playoff game against Seattle, bringing the season to an end. The Flyers just downright stunk it up on the West Coast road trip, going 1-4-1, falling now to eighth place in the Eastern Conference and holding on by just a point. The Sixers finally ended a four-game losing streak, but now have a Joel Embiid dislocated finger to deal with. And last, congratulations to Villanova Wildcats head basketball coach Jay Wright for being named AP Coach of the Decade. We were just talking with Frank Fitzpatrick last week about what a great job Jay has done, and he got a nice award for it. Yeah, that we were. So way to go, Jay. And boy, are the Flyers happy to get off the road, man. As you noted, it was a rough six-game trip, and now they are back home. But the first game back in town is against the best team in the league, so good luck with that. And, hey, in addition to giving Jay Wright kudos, let's also say congrats to former Temple coach Matt Rule and to Philly native Joe Judge. They are both heading to the NFL as head coaches. Yeah, how about that? Quite a surprise uh, with uh, Judge going to the Giants kind of out of nowhere. It seemed like Rule was the Giants' choice, but uh, he got 60 million reasons not to listen to the Giants. He never even interviewed. He took the job with the Carolina Panthers seven years. $60 $60 million with $10 million of incentives. Yeah, how about that contract for a first-time NFL coach? That That's amazing. I mean, that's a quite a commitment. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, uh, who knows what happens to the bar now? Because what, what do you pay Pete Carroll? What do you pay Bill Belichick, Andy Reid? And the list goes on. What do you pay these guys yeah. if you're paying uh, Matt Rule $60 million? And while I like Matt, you know, a lot of guys who go from college to the pros don't succeed, especially, you know, right away. I mean, even Nick Saban didn't do so well in the pros. So you don't know what you're going to get. But like I said, I do like Matt, and I wish him the best. Oh, absolutely, me too. And Hey, Chet, we have a bunch of Eagles to talk about tonight with our main man, the Hall of Famer Ray Dittinger will be joining us. And I can tell you, Chet, that Ray isn't happy of how this whole Wentz injury situation happened. And he has been fired up since post-game live. Yeah, well, hey, who is happy about it? I mean, pretty much everybody who watched it knows it was a borderline dirty hit, if not an outright dirty hit. And it absolutely warranted a penalty for a multitude of reasons, as Ray has noted. And the real shame for me, though, Bill, is that we didn't get to see a whole lot of Carson Wentz in his first-ever playoff game, a game that, despite my prediction on the show last week, a game that I really thought the Eagles had a great chance to win. It was just a shame we only got to see him for, you know, two series. Well, yeah, and, and uh, you know, we'll talk to Ray about this because this is one of my questions I'm going to ask him. But, you know, the uh, I'm going to say it was a good job that Doug Peterson did or had to do because, you know, you're playing already with a dummy down offense for all the practice squad players that you have. And now in the middle of the game, you have to beat the dummy down because now you have a quarterback who hasn't taken a snap. And now you've got to create some sort of offense um, just a, a monumental task to take on for the Eagles. 
Yeah, it was a real task and one they couldn't overcome. I mean, and to Josh McCown's credit, he did a decent job. He didn't have any three and outs the whole time he was in there. And he moved them up and down the field. He just couldn't get them in the end zone for, you know, six or seven points, unfortunately. And you end up losing by the same score he lost to Seattle in, I guess, week 12. It was 17-9. to So good job for Josh. I felt sorry for him because it was, I guess, his last game ever. And he was hoping to get it done. And I thought he might be able to do it, but they came up short. But, yeah, I think Doug did a good job under the circumstances in that game and, you know, over the last month and a half, certainly. Yeah, and uh... – you know, it's, it is such a shame because I think they did have a chance to win that game. I'm not going to say they would have won had Carson Wentz continued in the game, but I think it's certainly a different chance. And, and where Wentz is at his best is in the red zone. Uh, McCown got him to the red zone. He just couldn't get touchdowns, and they started trading field goals. Yep, and it's good to see that uh, Carson Wentz is, you know, talking and saying that he's going to be okay. Uh, I just wish he had a game to prepare for this coming Sunday, but unfortunately that's not the case. Nope, and uh, we'll get to that too. And uh, we're going to talk referees. We're going to talk everything that we can talk with Ray about because, uh, as we mentioned, the Wentz hit, but the early game, the Minnesota-New Orleans game, also ended up on a uh, on a very questionable call or, or well, they didn't, they didn't go to review like they should have. We'll talk to Ray about that as well. And, Speaking of that, Ray is here. So, Ray, welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio. Always great to have you with us. Always great to be with you guys. Hey, Ray, welcome back. You know, when we scheduled you to visit with us, we were hoping, really, it was going to be to preview an Eagles divisional playoff game, but that wasn't to be. So we're going to talk about off-season needs in a bit, Ray, but let's first talk about Sunday's loss to the Seahawks. You've made it very clear after the game and in your Monday visit with Angelo, you believe the clown he hit on Carson Wentz was a dirty hit and should have been penalized for various reasons, right? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if you heard, but Mike Pereira uh, came on with um, Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie today and said that. Uh, you know, Mike Pereira I, I, is a guy that knows officiating inside and out and um, is very fair-minded. I mean, he has – you know, he has no rooting interest in this. I mean, he's just looking at it as a as a pure uh, official. And uh, and he said it wasn't even close. That it was uh, it was clearly a, a, a dirty hit, a cheap shot. Uh, and I mean, it's if you no matter how many times you rerun it, whether you run it in real time or slow motion or super slow motion, Clowney's intent is clear. I mean, he's he, he's he's deliberately coming in to deliver a late hit and and if possible take the guy out of the game. He knew he knew who it was. Uh, and you watch the play, you know exactly what he's trying to do. Um, and I thought the way that I thought the way that Scott Smith, uh, Sean Smith's crew handled it was was very poor. And I thought his his explanation or his attempted explanation after the game was was even was even worse. Um, and the fact that the league is just sort of not doing anything right now, um, it's, it's very troubling to me. I mean, it, I mean that's that's a play that totally changes the nature of that whole game. Uh, and it's a postseason game, and it's your season's on the line, and there's you know there's no next week, um, and and you know if they're going to if if Roger Goodell and the boys on Park Avenue are serious about the idea of making this a safer game, uh, and uh, trying to do take those kinds of hits out of out of the sport, then you got to do it, especially when it's a, a play with that kind of visibility. Um, but I I don't I I. I mean, never for a second that I think it was it was even debatable. I mean, it was a to me it was a pen, it was you know it was, it was a penalty five different ways. I mean, it was helmet to helmet. It was late. 
Um, it was you know full body. It was a full body weight hit on a defenseless guy. Um, I mean, it was all of that. And what I thought was really ironic was that that officiating crew, and I talked about this pregame, was uh, and it was one of my it was one of the things I talked about pregame was this officiating crew uh, had thrown more flags this year for unnecessary roughness and roughing the passer than any crew in football, and I mean by a lot. Uh, I mean, it wasn't close. Uh, and so going into the game, one of the things I said was one thing you got to be mindful of, and that the Eagles and Jim Schwartz and the coaches have probably had to tell their players that this is a crew that they, they officiate the whole game with their hand on the flag, you know, and especially when it comes to the quarterback. So and I'm thinking in terms of the Eagles' defense, you know, you, it can be very frustrating chasing Russell Wilson around all day, and, and there, there's always the risk that since you finally get a shot at him, somebody's liable to hit him just a little bit late or just a little bit too close to the sidelines, and this is a crew that's going to throw the flag every time. And so what winds up happening? The biggest play of the game is that, and here's the crew that's been calling it all year, and they don't call it. Very, very frustrating. Absolutely. Ray, you talked about the play to change the game. Obviously, losing Wentz was, was huge, but uh, McCown came in, did a pretty nice job. He just couldn't turn the red zone into touchdowns and started trying to trade field goals, and that wasn't going to happen. And certainly that was a strength of Carson Wentz throughout the season was the uh, red zone efficiency and the third down efficiency, and we lost both of them in this game. Yep, that was, that was it. Um, it was – uh, to me, that's where kind of where the game, uh, that's where the game was lost. I mean, not only were they 0 for 3 uh, in, in the red zone, but I think they were 0 for 5 inside the 30. I mean, they also had other opportunities that, I mean, they had ample opportunities to score. Uh, and McCown moved the ball. I mean, he, you know, I mean, it was interesting when I went back and looked at it. He didn't have a single three and out the whole game. And he basically played the whole game, I mean, other than four plays. So, and he went through the whole game, and, and they never had a three and out. Which I mean, that's rare. I mean, even, I mean, you even take the best quarterbacks in the league, and you go through from a game, you go through a game through all 12, 13, 14, whatever possessions. Almost everybody has at least one three and out or two, and here's McCown didn't have a single one. So every time he got the ball, he moved it, but he just couldn't finish. And that was, you know, and that was, and that was the killer, you know. And and you're right. I mean, Wentz, the thing that had really sparked this team down the stretch when they got the four-game winning streak was that that Wentz was really good on third down uh, and really good in the red zone. I mean, in the four-game winning streak, he was 12 for 15, scoring touchdowns inside the 20. I mean, he was he was at batting 800 in there. Uh, and in this game, you go 0 for 3. In a game that was with, was a one-score game, it was um, – I, I I mean, it sounds like – you know, I don't want to make it sound like sour grapes, or, or but, uh, I mean, I, I really personally have no doubt that if, if he had not gotten injured and he had played the whole game, the Eagles – the Eagles would still be playing. I, I really think that he would have, he would have won that game because those op, those with you give him that many scoring opportunities, he's going to he's going to come through. Well, Ray, let's look ahead. Um, some key offseason needs, certainly wide receiver and more secondary help. I would think. I actually looked at four different mock drafts yesterday, and I saw three of them having the Eagles taking a wide receiver with the twenty-first overall pick. Three different names, but still. From what I'm seeing and hearing, this is a pretty deep draft for receivers with five to seven of them expected to go in the first round. Do you agree, and will that be a top priority for the Birds? Uh, I certainly agree, and, you know, now what their, pri- you know, what their priorities are, that I, I can't speak to that. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, to me, that's, that's uh, the number one need. That's, that's the most obvious one is they've they got to remake the, the receiver core. Um, you know, I don't expect 
you know, Nelson Aguilar has come to the end of his contract. I don't expect him to be back. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, um, I mean, they still have they, – they got to work out the contract thing, uh, and they're looking right now at a pretty big cap hit if they move on from him. Um, but I don't expect him back. I mean, I think they'll, they'll, they'll be some kind of a settlement, and he'll move on. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think – at this point, I don't think you're bringing Deshaun Jackson back. Um, so – yeah, I mean, you you pretty much have to rebuild the thing from scratch, uh, and uh, and it, and the this is a very good, in, at least in my opinion, this is a very good draft for wide receivers. When I did my first uh, breakdown uh, on on stuff, that uh, I had four guys with first round grades, uh, and for, at that position, which is unusual. Um, that's normally you might get one, maybe two wide receivers go in the first round. It's not a position that the teams value very highly in the first round. They always think you can get guys in rounds two, three, four. Uh, and historically that's kind of true. So teams will not necessarily prioritize the wide receivers. So good guys can slip a little further than they should. Um, but uh, I, I would, if I were the Eagles, that's certainly where I would be looking. Uh, I'd also be looking for a linebacker. I mean, a, a linebacker to make a play. A linebacker to make a big play, uh, and they and they just haven't had one of those in a very long time. Uh, I mean, the guys that they got out there now, I mean, they're, I mean, they're just guys, is what it is. And you're kind of playing around those guys. I mean, you got the, the defensive line, and you need the defensive line to be playmakers. And the secondary, obviously, is a priority. Um, and but this team has, for years now, just taken the attitude. Well, you know, linebacker, we'll just we'll just get somebody. Um, and you see, you, know, you see the really good defenses have linebackers that are playmakers. I mean, they get in there and, and they impact the game. The Eagles haven't had an impact, or truly impact linebacker since. I guess you could say Hicks, uh, but the trouble with Hicks was he couldn't stay healthy. But prior to that, I mean, Seth Joyner and I have talked about this a lot. And Seth said, um, you know, I mean, you got to go back to William Thomas, you know, which is a long time ago. Uh, they've had a lot of guys come through and play the position, but they're all just sort of guys that are. You know they're they're just kind of guys. You know they're they're not they're not going to make you a play that's going to change the flow of a game. And so you wind up with a situation like the Eagles are right now, where Malcolm Jenkins basically has to play the game as a linebacker almost. Uh, I mean you saw that on Sunday, and you know playing him up around the line of scrimmage. I mean he's good up there. I mean he's certainly willing to do it. Uh, and you know he was kind of in there spying on Russell Wilson to control his uh, his running. But the problem is you play Malcolm Jenkins up near the line of scrimmage as much as you do. That's why you're giving up 40 and 50 yard passes. You know, you're weakening the back end of your defense. It'd be nice to go get a, a linebacker that could actually play linebacker and let <laughs> Malcolm Jenkins go back to playing safety again. Yeah. Well, Ray, you know, Howie Roseman, I guess, kind of sold his soul just a little bit today in his press conference about, you know, he needed to do a better job. I'm, I'm not going to jump on Howie too much on this, but, I wonder, do these general managers, we saw the same thing with the Phillies and, and we saw what happened to them after their their great run. Do, do these general managers get a little bit in love with these guys to the point that they don't make wise business decisions where they look like great decisions to bring back Darren Sproles, to bring back Deshaun Jackson, to bring back Jason Peters. They got nothing out of Sproles, nothing out of Jackson, and, and Peters has seen better days. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to be. That's what, this is one of the reasons why Belichick. Um, that's why they win. I mean, Belichick. There's no. I, there's. There's not a hint of loyalty there. Uh, I mean, you, you, it, you, I mean, he doesn't. He, you know, he, he's not singing old Lang Syne with anybody. You, I mean, you, it's all about the here and the now. And hey, you, know, you gave me eight great years. Thanks. Goodbye. 
there's there's none of that. I mean, it's it's all about like I'm building the next team. You know, I, I'm what we did in the past, and what you helped me do. That if that's in the past, it's in the past. You know, we're we got to get we got to bring the people in here that's going to win for us next year. Uh, and and the guys on that team accept it. I mean, they they recognize that's the way it works, and they accept that. Um, but some organizations uh, hang on a little too long, and it and it's. It's not just a Philly thing. I mean, you look around and you see a lot of teams kind of make the same mistake is that they keep guys, you know, a year or two too long. And we, you know, we, we were, and I was critical of Joe Banner because I thought that sometimes he cut ties with the guys too soon. And, you know, obviously Brian Dawkins being the biggest example, but there were others that uh, you got to a point and you said, nah, that's it. And he did it with Westbrook. Um, but if you, if you put it on some kind of like almost an actuarial table and you, and you look at the production you get from players, even really good players at us beyond the age of, let's say 30. Um, I mean, it kind of supports, it kind of supports that point of view that, you know, it's, it'd be nice if you could pay everybody based on what they've done for you, pay them out of loyalty. But in a salary cap world, you have to make decisions about the team right now. And you always have to ask the question, okay, what, what, what value do you represent today? Not what value did you represent three years ago or four years ago? You know, it's what do you represent today? Um, and making those decisions doesn't necessarily make the general manager popular, but it's the guys who can make those tough decisions that uh, that generally wind up coming out ahead. Ray, getting back to the wide receivers, I heard you and Glenn talking with Merrill Reese on Saturday. You and Merrill both saw that Greg Ward Jr. had some talent. Why did it take the Eagles brass until late November to realize that he deserved a chance? And speaking of wide receivers, why did J.J. Arcega-Whiteside struggle so mightily his rookie season? Yeah, uh, I don't really know. Um, you know. The first question, I mean, the first question about, about Greg Ward is, um, I mean, they they screwed up. I mean, it's just it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't have that guy in your house for three years <laughs> uh, and just ignore him the way this team ignored him, uh, especially in a year like this where you were getting nothing from your from your wide receivers. Um, I mean, that's just malpractice on the part of the coaching staff. And I I know kind of how this happens um, because you have a couple of factors at work here. There's the there's the political part of it. There's the financial part of it, and then there's the coaching part of it. Um, that um, the coaching part of it is, is simple because there are a lot of coaches who view practice squad who you know when they're out on the practice field they're not even looking at the practice squad guys. You know they're looking at their 53, uh, and the practice squad guys are just kind of faceless guys that are there to run scout team, and uh, and some coaches probably couldn't even tell you their names. They're so interchangeable, um, and even if a guy's out there and he's lighting it up in practice. Um, and, and believe me, Greg Ward lit it up in practice almost every day. That's why Merle and I used to talk about it all the time. I mean, so this guy's really good. But the coach is, you know, he's, he's a practice squad guy, you know, and it's and it's and this is practice. And yeah, you know, you put him in a game, and, yeah, he's not going to do anything. And so that and they kind of just write it off. So that's how coaches look at it. The coaches don't look at everybody that's on the practice field the same. You know, they you know they they look at practice squad guys as just they're there for scout team. Um, the the front office, however, uh, they look at it differently. You know, they've got and if you got guys like JJ or you got guys like uh, Aguilar or Jeffrey um, or you know Mac Hollins and these guys that you drafted, uh, the guys in the personnel department they have their reputations at stake. I mean, you you know you made the decision to bring this guy in. You either signed him as a free agent or you drafted him. Uh, so you're kind of, you know, you kind of put your stamp on this guy. As I'm, you know, you brought him in. 
uh, you you say this guy can play, this guy can help us, and a lot of these people are insecure and they don't want to admit to a mistake, and so they'll keep you know they'll keep hanging on and hanging on and hanging on, and you know they don't want if they if you know if, if somebody says bring you know why don't you put Greg Ward in there, you know they don't want to hear that you know because then you're going to take the guy that I drafted in the second round and paid him a ton of money, I'm going to put him on the sideline and bring a practice squad guy in. How's that make me look? And then you've got the guys that control the money, and they're looking how the money's being spent, and they're paying millions of dollars to this guy and millions of dollars to that guy, and they they, they want to return on their investment. So a Greg Ward, a Greg Ward, who's a really good player, and demonstrated he was a very good player every day at practice for three years. You know, he's he just he just stands there and just waits and waits and waits for somebody to notice him. They're, I mean, they're just really lucky that that no other team came in and, and picked him up. That, and I, I I often wonder, and I've never gotten a straight answer on this. If some team had come had come to the Eagles and said, "Hey, we're t- we're claiming this guy," you know, the the only way the Eagles could have retained him would have been to put him on the fifty three. Uh, would they have done that, or would they have just let him go? I don't know. I honestly don't know. And i I thought that it, I thought that it really easily could have happened um, after the week when the Eagles and the Baltimore Ravens had that uh, joint practice session in Philadelphia, when the two teams were on the practice field for three days before they played the preseason game. Uh, and Greg Ward was catching everything. I mean, and I thought this could be one of these situations where Baltimore's net, they've now had three days to look at this guy. What happens if they put a claim in on Greg Ward? Are the Eagles going to activate him, or are they going to just let him walk? I, I I'd be one of the benches. It's, it's they wouldn't let him walk, and you, and but now I mean, there's he's established the fact that he's there, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to be your slot receiver next year, and I think he's going to play really well. Now as far as JJ goes, I uh, look I was a JJ guy when they drafted him. I mean it's now I mean everybody in the world is second guessing it, and they're all looking at McLaren and they're looking at Brown and they're looking of course on Sunday they're looking at Metcalf and all these receivers that were drafted after him. Uh, and saying, wow, you know, these guys are all on the board and we took J.J. I will tell you, as I was watching that round play out and I saw all the, all the players that were there, I would, have taken, I would have taken J.J. too, based on his college career. You know, Metcalf was hurt a lot, and, his, and, and he was very up and down. McLaren was a good player, but, I, you know, I thought he was just more of a speed guy. Brown I liked a lot, so I'm not surprised he was successful. But if you looked at his college career, you know, Artega Whiteside had a better, really had a better career on the field than any of those other guys. I mean, he had 14 touchdowns for a good te- for a good program at Stanford. So I'm I'm sort of puzzled by what why everything went so bad for him. I mean, I know he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's got he's got good hands uh, and he's got a he's got long arms and he's got size. And I thought he would be a red zone at, at the very minimum. I thought he would be a guy that would be part of your red zone package and a guy that would make some plays for you. And when he got his opportunity, he did very very little and. You know, I was talking to Ruben Frank uh, of, of NBC Sports, who writes for the website, and he said he interviewed J.J. on Monday after the game. Uh, and he said the guy was – he said the way, the way Ruben described him, he said he was shaken, that he was, that he was just really shaken, his confidence, that, uh, that he can't figure out what went wrong. And he can't figure out why he didn't do more with his opportunity. And, uh, and right now his confidence is, is such that uh, – you know, Ruben said, "I don't know. I don't know if this guy's going to be able to come back from this." You know, I mean, he's, they're, going, they're not going to cut him because you've got an investment in him. But um, you know, Ruben said the, the look in this guy's eyes was just—it um, was just—he was just very baffled. He was very hurt, and he just looked like I don't even know if I belong here. And that's, 
you know, that's too bad because I've seen him play well at Stanford, and I've seen him play well in some big games. I know he can play. It's just uh, I think confidence-wise right now he's just at rock bottom. Wow. Well, hey, Ray, before we talk a little bit about 2020, I wanted to ask you uh, about the 2019 officials. And I, and I got to tell you, I'll, I'll confess here, about a month before the end of the regular season, I went on strike. Um, I watched Eagles and only Eagles because I was so disgusted with every game I watched the officials thinking the place up. So I'm back watching the playoffs now, and I see the end of the Saints-Vikings game, which to me is the reason they put the rule in where they could review pass interference-type calls, and then they chose not to review it, which looked to me like a clear push-off. But overall, I just felt like the officiating was just downright horrible in pretty much every game that I watched. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. The officiating was really bad. Uh, a lot of games impacted by it. Um, I don't think the, uh, the addition or the expansion, let's say, of the, uh, of the, re- of the re- review uh, helped anything. Uh, I think in some ways it just, conf- it just further confused things. Um, the, one thing, the one thing that uh, I did see a follow-up on was the Rudolph play in the end zone where um, initially the broadcasters said that they didn't review it. They just ended the game. Um, there, was a, there was a clarification that came out later that, yet no, they did review it, that uh, within the last two minutes, obviously those plays are all reviewed, uh, and scoring plays are all reviewed. Uh, and so, yes, it was looked at, um, and they just, they, just clar- they just cleared it. They said, no, no, it wasn't a push-off. That was fine. <laughs> so it was it wasn't. It, it, yeah, so it wasn't. So it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that they didn't look at it. They looked at it, but said, yeah, we, yeah, we see it, but no, it's fine. Um, I thought it was a push off for sure. And, uh, you know, and that's why, that's why the league is in a bad place right now. And I can't, I can't give you a solution to it, but I mean, this is kind of a real problem that they've got. I mean, here you had two games on Sunday, back to back playoff games. And what's the, what's the thing that everybody's talking about coming out of those two games? It's the officiating in both of them. You know, the people that are involved, you know, people in New Orleans are screaming about the push-off in the end zone, and they should. And the people in Philadelphia are talking about Clowney's hit on Wentz and why that wasn't a penalty. Um, so you come out of that where you had two playoff games uh, and, and good games, but all the people talk about the next day is, is the officiating. And that's, that's every week in the NFL. You know, you never, have, you never have around the water cooler in the office on Monday, instead of having guys talking about a great game, Great performance. Oh, did you see what Mahomes did? Oh, man, can you believe Lamar Jackson? Oh, man, these are great games. Nobody's talking about that. Everybody on Monday morning is talking about the calls that were missed. And, you know, when, that's, when, when that is the center of all conversation coming out of your games on the weekend, as a league, you have a real problem. I agree. I agree. Hey, Ray, uh, we, haven't, we haven't done a fast five with you in a while, and since I still have a bunch of questions, let me just try it this way. Five questions for you, and limit your answers to 10 seconds each. Can we give that a shot? Sure. All right, here we go. Number one, what are the chances that Jason Peters is back for one more season with the Eagles? Uh, almost nil. I agree. Uh, Jason Kelsey is an all-pro for a third time, and he was the center for the all-decade team. Is Jason Kelsey, therefore, a Hall of Famer? Uh, an Eagles Hall of Famer, for sure. I think, you can, uh, I think you can mark that one down. I mean, he's going to be on the wall at the link. Um, yeah. And as, an, as, as in Canton, I think he's in the discussion. I, I really do. Uh, I mean, he's, 
whether or not, and I think some people are talking about that he might retire. I don't really see it. I mean, he had such a good year. He doesn't have any real reason to. Uh, he finished the year pretty healthy, um, and he's at the top of his game. I don't, I don't know why he would walk away. So he, I think he's going to play on. And, uh, you know, they don't put a whole lot of centers in the Hall of Fame. It's, it's a tough position to make it. Uh, yeah. But I think, he's, you know, I think he's been that good for this long that I think he's, when it, when it, whenever he calls it a career, I think he's going to be, he's going to be a candidate. Ray, you and I both picked the Saints to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC. Not going to happen. What is the most likely Super Bowl matchup now, and who wins? Uh, I've I've seen a lot of Baltimore. I, I don't think anybody's stopping them over there. Um, the NFC, I mean, you could go back and forth on it. You can make a case. I really I, I do think the Saints are the best team in the conference, but they're gone now. So I'll probably go I'll probably go Frisco Baltimore. All right. And this, I have to uh, point this out for Bill. Uh, Bill, I don't know if you knew this, but Ray actually does impressions. And uh, a couple of weeks ago on WIP, Ray did an impression of Andy Reid singing the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, say, can you see? <coughs> By the dawn's early light. <coughs> so, Ray, do you do any other impressions? No, that's it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've done the I've done an occasional Big Daddy, uh, but uh, uh, but no my 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 repertoire is is pretty limited. I am I am certainly by no means by I'm certainly by no means Joe Conklin. <laughs> no, and, and finally I've been meaning to ask you this for four or five years. How many yellow legal pads do you go through in a calendar year? Oh boy, uh, a <laughs> couple, couple dozen. Couple dozen. I, I've always been very reliant on the yellow legal tablet. I, I mean, that, you know, it never became a thing until I until I was on television. People <laughs> see me see me paging through them all the time. But uh, yeah. yeah, in fact, it's, it's become such a it's become such a, a widely discussed aspect of my personality um, uh, that um, now people every year when we every year when we get to around Christmas time and we're doing our remote down at Delaware Park. Uh, I'll have three or four people come up with a big pack of uh, of yellow legal tablets with a little ribbon on it, and that's and that's my Christmas present. So I don't. I've gotten to the point now where I don't even have to buy them anymore. People bring them to me. There that's great. Hey Ray, if you have time, I have one more question for you, and that I, I okay. would be remiss if we don't ask you about. Um, what did you think of NBC's coverage of this whole Wentz situation or lack of coverage? Um, you mean the the the, uh, the the hit itself? Yeah, the hit itself, and the fact that they didn't tell us for about twenty minutes that he wasn't coming back. And how would that have gone down if it was Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or one of them other guys? Yeah, I, I kind of thought that. I, I really thought they kind of uh, downplayed it. Um, I mean, they didn't at at the time that it happened. They didn't. They were very slow in replaying it, uh, and then when they replayed it, they didn't replay it in a, in a really critical way. They just kind of said, "Here's the play," uh, as opposed to. And listen, you know, um, they have opinions on everything, uh, and Chris Collinsworth has opinions on everything. Uh, and it seemed I don't know if I don't know if they shied away from it, or if they just didn't if they didn't recognize the significance of it. You know, I, I think that you know Carson got up got up from the ground and he and he finished out the series and he went to the sidelines and so no, for a while there nobody really knew he was hurt. Nobody really made a point of it until you saw him heading up the tunnel. Uh, and and at that point, they, it, it, to me, it was pretty obvious they needed to go back and take another look at the hit. Um, but the fact that it wasn't called, the fact that Wentz walked off the field, 
the immediacy of it kind of didn't call for a whole lot of discussion. It just was like, okay, that's a play, and he's still in the game. And um, then the referees didn't do anything about it. So everybody just kind of moved on. And um, But, yeah, I mean, when you considered it, – it's funny, when the play happened, um, I said I, – in the room that we were watching, the first thing I said was, he's hurt. I mean, I just felt you, – because you, you began to see – you began to see the way he was getting up didn't look natural to me. Uh, and Seth immediately said, that's a dirty hit. Uh, and so that's coming from a guy who was a pretty nasty defensive player in his own right. But Seth, yeah. Seth didn't even need the replay. Seth didn't even need the replay. Seth's immediate reaction was, no, that's a dirty play. Uh, and I, what do you mean? There's not a penalty on that? I mean, Seth reacted really strongly. So he picked up on that part of it. I picked on the part of it. No, I think he's really injured. And sure enough, he was. All right. Well, Ray, we certainly appreciate you coming by. Great stuff as always, and uh, let's do it again. I look forward to it, fellas. It's always a pleasure. All right, Ray. Thanks Thank much, you much. Ray. Take care, guys. See you. Bye-bye. All right. Well, Bill, as you may know, I paid a visit to the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn last Saturday night to see the band Big Whiskey. Real good. The Rover has live bands every Saturday night. This weekend, it's Stems and Seeds Light. Of course, you'll also find a fantastic menu at the Irish Rover, from wings and sandwiches to great entrees like grilled salmon, baby back ribs, and filet mignon. And always 24 beers on tap. Lunch, dinner, and happy hour specials, too. Coming up on Tuesday the 21st, it is another paint party at the Rover. The Irish Rover is on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. I'll see you there. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good! Well, Chet, you know what? We better be good because it hasn't been a good week for the Flyers, the Sixers, or the Eagles. So let's talk about the Flyers. We said they needed six to eight points on their road trip. It was a disaster. They went one, four, and one. They get only three points. They're finally back home, as we mentioned earlier. They got to face the Capitals. Um, and then the Bruins are in the mix. The schedule doesn't get any easier. Actually, it gets tougher. Yeah, we talked about this ahead of the six-game trip. We talked about it early into the trip, and now after the trip, how they had to start playing better on the road if they're to become legitimate postseason contenders. Well, it hasn't happened. It's just unfathomable how different this team is home versus away. The record is updated now 13-2-4 and four at home, just 9-13-2 and two on the road. And by the way, over half the season is now over, 43 games in. So they are home now for three in a row. But as you said, it's a tough stretch. They start with a visit from Ovechkin and company, you know, the Caps tonight as we speak. And it's three of the best teams in the East, Washington, Tampa Bay, and Boston in a row. So a key few games right here against some very stiff competition. Yeah, and uh, boy, you don't even know where to start because in the entire six games, they were basically flat every single night. Uh, last night, they were they started out, they got a couple goals, then they got back behind by a couple goals, and they were able to claw out one point. Um, but boy, they just weren't good any night. Yeah, and the one game they did win, they had to go to overtime to do it. So not a successful road trip at all. I'm sure the coach is not real happy about it. He kept his uh, post-game news conference short last night, didn't have too much to say about it. What can you say? He's searching for answers just like everybody else. 
Well, yeah, you know, and and I did take that uh, there was some players and and the post game live crew trying to put a positive spin on how that game went last night. That they actually played okay uh, by coming back and getting that point. But I think being on the tail end of the rest of the disastrous trip, uh, it, it didn't give me a whole lot of positive feeling. No, I agree with you. I agree. So uh, yeah, I don't know where we stand. As I said, we're over halfway through the season, and I'm still not sure what to make of this team. I thought, you know, a month ago they were looking definitely like a playoff team. Now they're, you know, clinging to that second wild card spot with a tough stretch of games coming up. So I don't know. I can't make any predictions right now. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think we know what we have right now. So um, the disappointing thing, obviously, is in the goal. They struggled there, but the defense struggled as well, and and they didn't score goals. It, as we said, I keep saying disaster. It. it they were bad on all three ends, so I'm not uh, I'm not sure where the bright spot lies. Yeah, and I felt bad for Travis Sanheim. He scored that great uh, goal to tie it, I guess, last night, and then you know he lost his stick on the play that resulted in the game ending. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. All right. Well, we'll be like you said, we've hit the halfway point of the season, so we'll be talking a whole lot more Flyers as we go, but. Uh, well, we were we were kind of high on the hog there for a little while, and uh, not so much uh, after this two week trip. Yep. All right. Wait, Chet. Did you know that fifty six percent of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave Lavoy from Allstate and Westchester, PA. Yep, the same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal, and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoie in Westchester, Pennsylvania, the number 610-430-0700, and start planning for your retirement today. The number again, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, hard to believe, but this song and album is 50 years old this month. A little more. <laughs> Love that song. Yeah, I knew you did. Boy, hey, Chet, the Sixers finally got back on the winning side Monday night uh, after losing four in a row. But now they have this MB dislocated finger injury to deal with. Uh, how do you see the Sixers responded to this? Oh, boy. I don't, well, first of all, did you see that finger? That looked nasty the way it was bent. Oh, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it looks I'm like sure a Chuck Benderick uh, finger. Yeah, exactly, or Keith Richards. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's painful, and uh, he's definitely out for at least the next game, and I'm guessing several more. That's just a hunch. He's you know, seen a couple of specialists, I believe, and I'm going to guess that they're going to recommend that he take some time off. Hopefully it won't need surgery and that there's nothing broken or anything. It is just dislocated or whatever, but I just have a bad feeling like it's going to be more than one game. We'll see. Uh, big tests. Thursday night with uh, the Celtics in town, Al Horford going up against his old mates. He did not play the last time they played up in Boston when they got that big win. So uh, Horford will be in there, you know, filling in for Embiid. And the other good news is Matisse Thibel coming back. He's been out the last two weeks, so he'll be back. And, you know, he's a good guy that they need defensively and will come in handy against the Celtics and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. They need him back. But, hey, I also wanted to ask you uh, your thoughts on Ben Simmons. Uh, it, there's a lot of buzz going on out there. And, uh, you know, is that a social media buzz? Is that a, any kind of official buzz that 
you know, the Sixers are actually thinking about moving this guy and that they're actually not happy with, one, him and his work ethic, and two, his play on the court. Yeah, I don't know if it's the work ethic. I think it's basically coming down to the inability or unwillingness of him to take those outside shots. Brett Brown called him out a few weeks ago, and then when Howard Eskin of WIP asked him about it the other day, Brett Brown basically said, I have failed. And I think that was, you know, maybe his way of calling out Ben Simmons again, saying, look, you know, I'm putting my line or my heart out there for you, and you're not supporting me by taking the shots that we need you to take, we want you to take. So I don't know. I don't think they're, like, actively trying to trade him. But on the other hand, I think if they got a great offer, they would have to consider it because uh, – He's a very good player, obviously, but he needs to add that to his game or he's not going to be the complete player. Well, you know, I have to keep going back to what Charles Barkley said. I believe it was last year. Time goes by so fast, it's hard to remember, but I think it was last year where Barkley said the problem with Simmons is that he's so young and he's six foot ten and runs like a deer that he's never had to develop that shot. And then in time, if he works on it, he will develop it, that he's just a kid. Um, give him time. He was 6'10". He was bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody else. There was no need to stand out at the arc and, and shoot all the time. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't know if getting – if you were really serious about moving him at such a young age, um, if you wouldn't regret that for a long, long time. Hey, let's get another opinion on this because we got a guy on the line who's a huge Sixers fan, and he's uh, joining us to talk a little NFL playoffs. But Fred Hugo, how you doing, man? Good, good. We we would regret that forever if we did that. <laughs> forever. <laughs> what because, is the look, solution? Look, Kobe, like go down the list. Kobe, Michael Jordan, uh, uh, Magic, all the greats. Just go down the list. Uh, even LeBron probably. I, I would have to check LeBron. I'm not sure what year. They won the championship, and they're like seventh, eighth, ninth. That's when they started to get going. They're seventh, sixth, seventh season. And this, these two young, including being this too, these two young guys are getting, it, kind of doing the same thing they do, get to a point in the playoffs and get knocked back. So, once again, I guess the process got us all impatient when you got to look at the reality of it. You know what I mean? Because we tanked. Now, now everyone expects, like in two, three years, us to be. The expectation level is way high, and I get it. But you can't, you can't give up on these two. There, there's no way. If when he. The upside alone, if he develops that shot, I would rather take the chance on if he develops than trade him for Damian Lillard and let's win one title and then be back to where we were. I'd rather wait two. I'd even wait. I'd wait two, three years. Because <laughs> if he plays, if he develops the shot, he's a LeBron. He's LeBron James. On he's a, it's it's like that type of player for the next ten, twelve years to get I one title now. This, I, I, would, I wouldn't do it. We are not a patient bunch in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's kind of a problem. We're, we're ready to run Wentz out of here, and he's in his fourth year. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, 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 let me let me ask you. Talking about patience, and and I hear what you're saying, Fred, and I actually uh, I 100 percent agree with you. But do we have the patience to put up with Brett Brown for that long? If it takes two or three more 50, 48, 50, 52 win seasons, but not get to the promised land. Do we have the patience with Brett Brown? Now that's a different question. That's a different answer because through if you watch the process games, I know they were terrible, but there were times that those teams 
had leads and they blow them the same exact way this team blows leads. No matter who the players on the roster, the same issues occur. I had a video on Facebook. My Facebook memories popped up from three years ago. It was the Sixers up 12, Robert Covington coming up and jacking up a three with 20 seconds on the shot clock with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter, a game they eventually lost. You know, so the only thing with Brett Brown is it's the same reoccurring issues. He's He has a team that he's trying to force to be three-point shooters, that that's not their strength. So I'm kind of – I'm not, I mean, obviously he's not getting fired. He, he's he he's going to be a good coach in this league. He's like it's like a Mike D'Antoni. You win 50 games every year. You win 60, but playoff time. I I don't know if he if he got what it takes to adjust and and play the right way. All right. Well, let's talk football, Fred. Since we don't have Eagles to talk about, we're still going to make some picks. All right. So we're going to go start out. Well, first of all, Chet, how did we end up doing? even though you took the Seahawks. I, I don't even really want to talk about that, but how do we end up doing? What's our records now? Oh, you guys don't want to hear this. Our regular season champ, Fred, managed to do nearly impossible. He took the wrong side on all four games last weekend. <laughs> Bill, you at least got the oh, Texas game right. You were one and three. As for me, the evil guy who had the gall to pick against the Eagles and who was also smart enough to take the Titans over the no longer great Patriots, I was three and one, so there. Well, you'll lose this week, so that's okay. <laughs> How'd the Saints do? Uh, moving right along. We all got that one wrong. All right. Let's the best go team in the NFC. Have, I thought Saturday, so did Ray. Ray thought that. Here we go. Saturday, we have Minnesota, San Francisco. 49ers are minus seven. Tennessee's at Baltimore. The Ravens are minus nine and a half. That's a lot of points. And Sunday, Houston at Kansas City. The Chiefs are minus nine and a half. That's a lot of points, too. And Seattle is at Green Bay. The Packers are minus four. So, Fred, let's start it off. Minnesota at San Francisco, the Niners minus seven. Even though I picked against them, I thought Minnesota had what it takes to win. I think they do every week. They got they got a they got a run game. They got a quarterback that can throw. They got receivers, and they have a defense. I I can't go against the 49ers now. They're at home. Shanahan's been here before as a coach. Um, I'm going to take the 49ers here to win. Yeah, they've convinced me they're a pretty good team. I'm going with the 49ers as well. I am too. Uh, Minnesota surprises me, though, because I just don't think they're that good, but they play good almost every week. So, But I'm taking the 49ers as well. Tennessee at Baltimore, the Ravens are minus 9.5. You know, on paper, we don't even have to play this game. No. On paper, we do not. But with Mike Vrabel, we do. <laughs> and I'm going to take the Titans in the upset. Wow. In Baltimore. Well, he's, got took, he's got them guys rolling. They're on a roll. And uh, I just got a weird, weird feeling about it. That would lose a lot of people for a lot of money if uh, Baltimore gets knocked out. But uh, I, I got to go with the Ravens. I just think they're too good a team. They've been great all year. They're not going to stop just yet. I'm going to go with the Ravens, too. But I don't know, Fred, I don't know that you're far off, though. I, but I'm going to stick with the Ravens at home. But I, I don't know that they're making the run for this like some people think. Houston at Kansas City, Chiefs are minus nine and a half. Andy's year, baby. Houston got lucked out the last week. They should have lost that game. I couldn't even believe that game. If I, I don't know if you guys watched it play for play, but it was crazy how bad the play was at the end. I'm going to take the Chiefs, definitely. I'm, I'm riding Andy Reid train. I want him to win it. Go Big Red. Yeah, I'm rooting for the Chiefs as well, and I do think they win this one pretty easily. Kansas City, no problem. 
I really want to pick Deshaun Watson in this game, but I'm not going to pick against Andy Reid because I really want him to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, Deshaun Watson's really, really, really good. Uh, I'm going to go Chiefs reluctantly in this one. Seattle Green Bay, Packers minus four. It's a four-point spread. I, I think Green Bay – I don't think Seattle's that, that great. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's just, they didn't even look that great last week against, against us. McCallum, we were moving it down. We just couldn't punch it in. I'm taking Green Bay here. All right, here's my upset special. I don't think either team is that great, but uh, I'm taking Seattle to pull the upset here. They are 8-1 and one on the road this year, better on the road than at home. I think Russell Wilson is going to have a huge day. I am taking the Seahawks to upset the Packers. Well, you won't be 3-1 and one this week, so we'll just go ahead and say that we're going to take Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers at home. Seattle can't run the ball. Seattle was lucky they didn't give up points in the red zone, like Fred said. They're not that good. Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau to win. Bill played it safe and took all the favorites. All the favorites Mark he took Bill. Down. No, did all I right. really? Yeah. Not on purpose. <laughs> all right. Well, talking about favorites, Final Four playoffs, Oklahoma, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State. Chet, what was our record on those again? It seems like forever ago they played those two games. Boy, Fred, you're having a tough postseason. Yes, Fred took Oklahoma and Ohio State in both lost. So he was 0-2 in college, 0-4 oh, in the pros last week. Way to go, Fred. <laughs> Bill, you and I had uh, different dude, picks in both games. Yeah, you were 0-2. My gambling habits reflected major losses as well. It was, it was a lot <laughs> one for me. I believe it. Bill and I are both 1-1. <laughs> one one. Go ahead, Bill. What do we got? All right. So Monday night, they're finally going to play Clemson LSU. LSU is a minus 5.5. Who is going to win the championship, national championship? These teams are really, really good. Fred? I made the mistake of thinking Oklahoma had any shot in that game. Uh, I couldn't believe what I saw. <laughs> um, there's no way I'm picking against LSU after that. Uh, Clemson has been there before. They have their, their quarterback. They have the coach. They have, you know, they've been there. You know, they're the champs. But I'm not, I'm not going against LSU after what I saw. Yeah, LSU uh, has to be the pick here. That quarterback is pretty darn good, i got to say. I did watch uh, a lot of the semifinal. He's a good one. LSU wins. Well, I'm going to tell you, from a guy that just absolutely loves college football, this is the clash of the Titans. I mean, this this is the real deal. The five-and-a-half points to me is a lot of points, but I'm going to go with Clemson. You're the champ until you're not the champ. I love LSU. I love Joe Burrow. I love everything he's done. A lot of Kool-Aid to drink after that monumental blowout of Oklahoma, but I'm going to go with Clemson as the champions, and uh, they're the champions until they're not, so I'm taking the Clemson Tigers. All right. All right. Well, hey, Fred, before we let you go, uh, happy birthday to your daughter, by the way, and thanks for taking a minute to join us anyway, even though it's your daughter's birthday. Let the listeners know how they can follow you. Thank you, and also my wife at 1201. They're back-to-back. Wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. Right after... Right after Christmas, I got to get them both more gifts. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you can find me on Facebook, search Fred Hugo, and then Twitter and Instagram at Fred Hugo underscore. And I'm I'm always posting. We have a show on Edge of Philly Sports, 9.30 p.m. on Wednesdays. And I'm always posting the other stuff I'm doing on there as well. So thanks, guys. All right, Fred. We'll, uh, We'll talk again next week. We'll catch up. Go Big Red. All right. Sounds good. Well, hey, Chet, let's give out a shout to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning. 
something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. And Chet, uh, it's always great having Ray with us, which just raises the bar for next week. So who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio to talk to us next week? Well, Bill, I didn't get around to sending out the invite till this morning, and I haven't yet heard back from our prospective guests. So right now it's the old TBD, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, and we'll have a good guest. You know that. So well, hang tell tight. me what sport. Tell me what sport. Give me, give me a hint. It, it's another football guy if it happens. If not, okay. we'll make other arrangements. All right. Very good. Do you have a parting shot today, Mr. Chesigo, or do you want yeah, to? Uh, I, you have anything else you want to throw out here while we have a minute? Uh, let me save the parting shot for a minute. A uh, couple of things, um, uh, Bill. No, Ray. Ray mentioned Mike Pereira, and I actually had a couple of the cuts from Mike's visit to the Joe DeCamera show. Uh, a couple of good ones. First of all, regarding the whole pass interference challenge thing. Boy, Ray and Mike agree on this. So this is what Mike Pereira had to say on WIP with Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie about those pass interference challenges. I don't think it's a good rule because I've tried to be polite. It's a stupid rule. And to me, <laughs> when the powers to be get together again and look at this replay rule, you either dump it or you say, okay, we're going to keep it and maybe use it only in the last portion of the game, maybe the last five minutes. And call it the same as you want the officials to call it. No different standard. The standard is the same. There you go. Well, you know, this guy certainly could not agree more with that <laughs> with that rule and that yeah. mess because, uh, like I said earlier, it, you know, the rule was created to prevent exactly what happened in the end of that yeah. Saints game, and they kicked the call. They, yeah. I, I feel, I feel worse now that I know that they actually reviewed it. You know, <laughs> I thought they did crazy. review it, which was a rule yeah. that they should have done. But I feel Something's worse now. Change. Something's got to change. And Mike Pereira again, a shortcut on WIP about the state of officiating these days. If I had a kid that wanted to play football, you know, the first thing I tell him, play offense. Yeah. <laughs> don't, go, <laughs> don't don't play don't play defense, man. The rules are teed up against you. <laughs> Very true, very true. And one, hey, fi- one final thing. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say one final thing. I owe an apology to Fletcher Cox. He did play well down the stretch. <laughs> and in that game last Sunday, he played like the old Fletcher, and he was a beast. So uh, way to go, Fletcher Cox. In fact, Malcolm Jenkins was a beast too, so I'm really curious to see how that plays out this season with Jenkins wanting a new contract. Well, that was actually one of the couple things I was going to hit you up on because um, we didn't get to talk to Ray about it. it, was Malcolm Jenkins basically, in my opinion, uh, throwing out his dirty laundry before the laundry from the game was even in the washing machine. He's talking about what he's going to not do next yeah. year when he's under contract. I-, I was real happy about that. No, it didn't take long, did it? Uh, I guess he got it out there right away, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because I would like to have him back for one more year, but, I mean, he is getting up there in age, and his first half of this past season wasn't great, so I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe give him a little bit more money for this year, but I'm not going to give him a long-term contract with a whole lot of guaranteed money, that's for sure. No, I mean, if he wants 
three years, say, three years is too many. You know, he's got yep. one. Give him another one. I, I could go with that. I'm not going three years. I'm not going to 35 years old and be a safety in this league. No way. I'm with you. Hey, right, one other for... thing I wanted to yes. throw out at you. What? How dumb does it take to be Derek Barnett? How about his rough in the passer call? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. Absolutely no reason for it, my friend. All right. How about a parting shot for you, Chet? Yes, sir, Bill. Well, I could have given more thoughts about the two-quick end of the Eagles season or the up-and-down 76ers, but I'm a music guy, and January 8th happens to be the birthday of the late, great David Bowie. From the first time I heard Space Oddity and Changes in the early 70s, I was hooked. I wore out his Ziggy Stardust, Diamond Dogs, and David Live albums in the mid-70s. I finally got to see Bowie live in 1983, twice on his Sirius Moonlight Tour in support of his huge Let's Dance album, and saw him again in 1987 and 1990. Always a big production and a memorable show. To be honest, I didn't love his last couple of albums after the turn of the century, but still, I was pretty devastated by the news of his death four years ago Friday, two days after his 69th birthday. As I move all too quickly toward my golden years, I feel like I'm under pressure. I don't really like going through changes. I no longer get to hang out with all the young dudes or those young Americans. I'll now never meet Major Tom or Ziggy Stardust or the Gene Genie. And I'll probably never achieve any great fame or find out if there's life on Mars. But it's all hunky-dory. Remember, Bill, we can be heroes just for one day. I digress. He's gone but never forgotten, David Bowie. But, Chad, you're probably going to find this hard to believe, but that David Live uh, album was a staple in my house when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Played it for like two years straight. So, uh, and all the, <laughs> by the way, Elvis Presley, 85 today. He would have been 85. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, with that, we have reached the top of the hour, Chet. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Ray Didinger and Fred Hugo, our sponsors. The Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAids.com, PPCC 118 Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, January 15th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio. Or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of others. But with that, we say, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay.